0: the highs and lows of their pursuits and how through their passion They are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Breaking news out of over thousands of applicants. The Verbally Effective podcast has been selected to showcase at the 2020 South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. Ina Esco will be interviewing Taylor to the stars and Memphis native Rich Fresh on the big stage.
1: We all around Memphis, Tennessee right here. We in the mix as well with DJ BA aka No Genre, aka Brandon Adams and we on Verbally Effective podcast with Miss Ina Esco. Let's go.
0: are listening to Chef Reagan, author of The Single Girl's Guide to Great Cooking, also known as The Cosmopolitan Cook, and you are listening to Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. Yo, what's poppin'? It's the Young Line, Sammy Mann, and right now you're locked in with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. Love. My name is Ina Esco and I am verbally effective because I am a master communicator and I am getting my guests to tell you exactly why they are succeeding in life through their troubles, through their struggles, through their triumphs. That's why I'm verbally effective. Memphis has been very good to Beaumont, Texas native Ina Esco. Upon graduating from Millington Central High School, Ina attended La in College, where she was a Dubois scholar and president of her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, Beta Ta Chapter. In 2000, she was crowned Miss Lamono in college and graduated cum laude with a degree in business administration the following year. Ina Esco has been in the radio business for two decades and has worked in various roles such as producer, voiceover talent, morning show co-host, midday and weekend talent. Ina holds her MBA and has worked in corporate America in planning, procurement, and marketing. She is also married with children. Currently, you can catch Ina Esco every Sunday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on iHeartMedia's V101.1 FM. In January of 2018, she started the Verbally Effective Podcast, which is a topical interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture politics and entertainment each week Ina is joined by a featured artist entertainer elected official or young professional with roots in Memphis verbally effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits and how through their passion they are moving the culture forward
1: this is the Verbally Effective Podcast with Ina Esco. And thank you for tuning in to episode 100. Woo-hoo! For our longtime listeners and first-time subscribers, we are so glad you are here with us today. You could be anywhere in the world, <laughs> but you chose to be here with us in the Verbally Effective Podcast. Now, for our lawyer, loyal listeners, you may be saying to yourself, This does not sound like Ina, and you are correct. This is Sanaa, and I am the verbally effective producer, and normally I am behind the scenes, but today for this podcast milestone, I'm taking the mic to interview our very special guest, a 20-year radio veteran, the mastermind behind Ivy Multimedia, on-air radio personality with iHeart's V101FM and South by Southwest 2020 presenter (laughs) and the creator of the Verbally Effective podcast. Welcome, Ina.
0: good to be here sanai yes. this is i mean i'm sitting on the other side <laughs> where the guests usually sit yes, so I this is different on the other side y'all
1: yeah, was like get on over there get away mm. from this board
0: Yeah, all what's she side. gonna ask me <laughs> what is she gonna ask me okay now
1: are you nervous
0: somewhat because i know you girl n- and <laughs> you get deep
1: look you know how some of the guests have been that we've had where they get on the other side of the microphone and then they start getting nervous.
0: Yeah, I, I feel a little bit of that energy right now. Ooh. I think it has to do something with this mic and this seat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. That's what we want because you know, we always want our guests to be transparent,
0: okay, and to
1: give us all the deets. Uh, behind their story and their journey so okay, I know cool. that you're gonna give it to the listeners today which I want to know look they want to know everything and we are gonna get it up out of you oh lord all right so we're gonna start this podcast like you start all of the episodes of Verbally Effective and we're mm-hmm. gonna start from the beginning Ooh. now you all should know that is not originally from Memphis Nope. so if you feel bamboozled by the fact that she (laughs) created this amazing podcast that spotlights Memphians um yes you should feel bamboozled because she is not an original Memphian so tell our listeners where you are originally from
0: I am originally from Beaumont Texas have you been there tonight I have Yes, it's Southeast Texas, uh, near the Gulf Coast, uh, not far from Houston. I guess, you know, when people don't know where Beaumont is, I kind of relate it to either Houston, Galveston, or Corpus Christi. Okay. It's in that area, in that Golden Triangle area. That's where I'm from.
1: All right. And how long were you in Beaumont before you moved here?
0: I was in Beaumont up until the age of 16 so quite a bit of my life was in Beaumont all right
1: and then why did you come out to our great city of Memphis
0: okay well um I grew up with my mom and my brother and um we had a pretty good life but my mom she didn't make good decisions with like her husband's, all right, Ooh, husbands. <laughs> plural, <laughs> literally, um, but like her and my dad, though, they were married and uh, I was a baby when they divorced. So, you know, I really like as a baby, really didn't know my dad at that point. And just growing up, uh, he was in the military, mm-hmm. so, you know, when uh, he would come in town, he would come and visit us. Uh, Me and my big brother EJ, and um, they divorced, like I said, when I was a baby. She remarried uh, one guy. Uh, That's when I think really the abusive relationship started. Um, And maybe I was too young to even really know what was going on with that. But then she married when I was about, I want to say, 10 years old. Mm -hmm. She married a guy from California. And I remember it like it was yesterday, because we eat a lot of Popeye's chicken in in uh <laughs> Beaumont, Texas, okay. right? And that day, for some reason, my brother wanted Church's chicken. What? And I was like, I don't want that. And he was like, Well, we're gonna switch it up, blah, blah, blah. She goes there and meets this guy. Okay. And that's where it all began. She started dating this guy named Alan Lee. And they married, and he was very abusive. And at that particular age, um, I see what's going on. I know what's going on. And, you know, my brother, he was just a couple of years older than me. You know, he wanted to protect his mom. So they began fighting, you know, a grown man and my little brother. And my brother wasn't going, though. He was calling, um, you know, our family members, letting them know what was going on. They tried to ask my mom, what, you know, what's going on, Diane? And she wouldn't tell them anything. Mm-hmm. And they had the type of relationship where, you know, we used to go to, you know, our family member's house all the time. And when she got with him, all of that stopped. He right. kind of secluded her from everything and everybody. Mm-hmm and was very possessive. And um, so the abuse was with her, with my brother, not really with me at that point, but um, like I said, my brother was telling it and my dad immediately got uh, custody of my brother and he would ask me, you know, what's going on? Is he doing it to you? And I'm like, no, and it eventually happened. Right. where the abuse began with me. Mm-hmm. And I I was a athlete in school and I I think like I I was such a busy being in school. I wanted to not be at home all the time. Right. Cuz yeah. it was just so horrible. And uh, my mom worked all the time. She uh, was a hairdresser. So she was at work all the time. I would be at the house with him all the time. Okay. And um, I would look for ways to not be at home because you just never know. He was a ticking time bomb. And so the abuse began with me. Um, um, physical abuse, verbal abuse, not sexual abuse. Thank God. But um, I just didn't want to... I I kind of like didn't want to leave my mom there. And so I wouldn't say anything. And I had a boyfriend and I was shouldn't have been dating him. No way. Because he was (laughs) one of my brother's friends. Uh He was a little bit older than me. He may be like three years older than me. Right. And he knew what was going on and he was just so fed up because I had a black eye at this point. Oh my goodness. And he was like, you know, Ina, I'm gonna tell my mom and she's gonna, you know, make sure you're okay. I'm like, no, don't do that. But he did it. And they called the police. And my dad had friends that were on the police department. So like one of his friends that worked for the police department heard it on the on the scanner. On the scanner. And so my dad came into town and um, immediately the police came. It it was a big ass mess. Um, The police came. um, They pulled me out of my home. I went to my grandmother's house. And um, my dad was like, well, I'm going to court to get custody of you. You're you're coming back with me. Mm -hmm. And at first, at first he was saying, well, you're going to stay with your grandmother for now. He really didn't say I was coming back with him at first. And so, you know, I still had the little boyfriend. I'm thinking I'm gonna stay with my grandmother, do my thing, (laughs) still be active in sports. But when I say it was a big scandal, it was all on the news tonight. It was just a big deal in Beaumont, Texas. And so all my friends knew. I was just so embarrassed and like, wow. But I had to deal with it. And I remember I was at school and uh, they called me out of my class. And it it was like an investigator. And they asked me, did I want to press charges?
1: Wow, how old were you at this time?
0: (sighs) How old was I? 15 or 16. I just didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. as a child. You know, I just didn't want to do anything. I'm like, what is going on? So what eventually happened is I was staying with my grandmother, um she became at that point i guess an interim uh like a temporary custodian temporary regarding. custodian and my dad i was approaching the end of my sophomore year in high school and my dad my brother was about to graduate remember i said he moved with my dad uh, and they were in st louis and uh, my dad said well i'm coming to get you for ej's graduation um, and I was like, okay. And then he said, and when I come get you, you're coming to stay with me. Wow. And I was like, no, I don't want to go. Right. And he was like, well, you know, you don't have that choice at this point. And so, um, you know, my grandmother was like, well, maybe everything happened for you to spend time with your dad. Right. So, yeah. so he came and got me and. And. I was like, you know, like, I don't know. It was different because I wasn't used to staying with him. And um, him and my now stepmom, they were dating at the point. At that point. And so my brother was there and her two daughters, which are now my stepsisters, you know, they weren't married yet. And so I had to just adjust. Mm-hmm. And so we were in St. Louis for that summer. And then my dad got orders to move to Millington. Mm-hmm. So I think he had a choice to move to like Omaha, Nebraska or Memphis, I'm sorry Millington and so we didn't want to go to Omaha <laughs> and so but when he said Millington I said what is that close to that he was like Memphis I said isn't that what Dr. Martin Luther King died <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yes but you're gonna be okay and so we moved to initially we couldn't get on base we had to wait we were on the waiting list for the naval base to move in housing there right. so we moved to Raleigh initially So my introduction, yes, yes. I was surprised. Wait, nah, you wouldn't have been there when I was there at Raleigh, Egypt, nah. So that was like my junior year in high school, and girl, baby, culture
1: shock. Was it? How? In what ways?
0: I had never been to school with like all black people, damn near. Like my school in Texas was like pretty much half and half, and it was a much bigger school. And so, it was, the school was much smaller, and definitely, like, the curriculum was different. Mm -hmm. And, like, we were, it was, like, always, once a week, one of the teachers wouldn't be there. We would go to the gym, and that's when I was introduced to Memphis Jookin.
1: Oh, okay. You know what, that makes sense, because (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you, it was always somebody because I had study hall my freshman year, which why was I in study hall my freshman year at Raleigh, Egypt? And it was like what you were going to learn in study hall was how to juke Yes, how to play spades or how to do something you had no business doing. So okay. you learned how to joke.
0: I learned how to juke baby. I'm like, show me how to do that. But... It was a big adjustment because, you know, it was not only me going to Raleigh, Egypt, it was my now, you know, stepsisters, they're going to the middle school and the elementary mm-hmm. over there right, in that yeah. same vicinity. We had issues off top with females. Oh, my God. Really? All
1: three of y'all had
0: issues? All with? three. Okay. You would think Nikki, my little sister, wouldn't have no issues in elementary, but she did. So my stepmom, she was very protective over us. When I hit the scene, you know the little cute boys, they was liking me. So oh,
1: so these issues was because y'all were the three new girls. Yes, at y'all was. Thank you. Yes. yeah. I was
0: from out of town. Yes. And you know, I used to play volleyball and I was good at volleyball but the, the coach wouldn't let me on the team because she was like, well, first she didn't know anything about me. So me, my dad, my stepmom trying to tell her, hey, I'm cold. Like, just <laughs> let me try out. And she was like, no, we already have our team. Wow. So I played basketball for Raleigh Egypt and, you know, I got to know people, uh, know some of my teammates. That's how I really started getting friends because they figured out I was a cool pretty girl I guess mm-hmm. and um my boyfriend then he played basketball oh
1: so you so see okay so you just <laughs> jump right into this new school now you dating the basketball yes. player
0: yes <laughs> the cute one uh-huh. you know he had a girlfriend dropped her and got see, with me so why
1: folks had a real reason to be cautious <laughs> I didn't know her look I didn't know
0: so you know but everything worked out no fights no nothing like that um but we got into uh, on on on-base housing my senior year so once again another transition I'm going to Millington High School my senior year Wow. yeah and I had reservations about that because I had heard some things about Millington um I think around that time that's when they had a lot of race relations with them hanging nooses and stuff like that okay but it wasn't bad. Uh, Mr. McVeigh was the president, uh, I'm sorry, principal back then. I had a pretty good um, time at Millington. I did play volleyball. I was all state. Told them folks I was cold. <laughs> um, I was the only black girl on the team. Wow. And so, you know, they had their team already. Here I come. Once again. Try out, get on the varsity team. Um, yeah, so... Millington was cool. And
1: so you graduated from Millington Central High School. I
0: did. And um, my dad was like, so are you going to get a scholarship? Because I'm not taking out a loan for you to go to to college. So what are you going to do? You need to be, you know, filling out these applications. And I didn't really know. I wanted to go to college. I really thought I was going to go to either Spelman or Clark, in my mind. So you wanted
1: to go to Atlanta.
0: I, yeah, you
1: see one of those schools. I
0: did, but I did not have my shit together and fill out what I needed to fill out in time. And it just so happened that Coach Nedra Brown from Lemoine College was scouting me. Oh, and was she,
1: cold. Yes,
0: <laughs> so she came to visit in Millington, sat down with me and my dad, and was selling Lemoyne to us and um. They offered me a scholarship, uh, and for what the athletic scholarship didn't cover, um, I had a dual scholarship. So I had an an athletic and academic scholarship my first year as a freshman at LeMoyne.
1: Wow. So you were smart, you were cute, and you were cold (laughs) on that court. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, triple threat. So at that point in time... What did you think you were going to quote unquote be when you grew up, or what were your career aspirations? So you know you're going to LeMond, mm-hmm. you got these dual scholarship. What were you thinking as far as your degree and potential mm-hmm. career
0: options? You know what I was. I was always. I was thinking I was going to be a news broadcaster really I wanted to go I wanted to major in either communications or broadcasting but LeMoyne did not have a program for that ah, it was right. like they had they had they I think they had like a dual program at the time with Russ College but I would have lost my scholarship so I was like that don't make sense to do the dual thing right. like I'm not paying for that. So I took a business. That was my major. But I definitely thought that I was going to be a news broadcaster.
1: So let me ask you this because I know Raleigh Egypt had their own TV show as well. Were you ever involved in RETV while you were there? No.
0: Okay. So then
1: what, where did this kind of idea of being a news broadcaster come into play?
0: Girl, do you know, well, growing up in Beaumont, Texas, um, me and my brother, we went to Catholic school like a lot of people. In that area because it's not far from Louisiana so you know it's a lot of Catholics right in that mm-hmm. area so I grew up Catholic and when me and my brother would get out of school my grandmother stayed down the street and we would always go to my grandmother's house after school and I would sit up and watch the news with my grandmother every day okay. and it was like I want to do that like I would be into the news <laughs> and when I attended uh, our Mother of Mercy Uh, Catholic school I had a nun my fourth and fifth grade back to back for some reason and she really worked with me with You know, we had to conduct mass and things like that. And she would always get me to do the speaking in the mass. Girl, I would be like the narrator for the Christmas play. (laughs) I would always go to church with my grandmother for the rosary. It's like they always had me involved with speaking. And she really honed my skills at a young age for being an excellent speaker. I was in theater arts, too. Okay. So all of that. So that's what I wanted to do. And when I didn't have the choice of a communications or broadcasting degree, I was like, hmm, let me just do this business thing because I know that could help me as well. I'll figure it out later, you know, at that point.
1: Okay. So with this idea of, okay, I'll figure it out later, what was maybe that first step that actually got you into the door in broadcasting?
0: Hmm. Well, when I was at LeMoyne, I... uh, my what's it? My senior? No, my junior year. Going into my junior year, I um, I was Miss Lemoine, two thousand. And I had to do a lot of public speaking and, um, you know, an AKA beta tie. Hey, Sarah's beta tie, a breathtaking beta tie chapter. And we used to have parties all the time. Okay. And Devin still used to DJ our party.
1: Hey, Devin. What's up, D?
0: And I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I went up to him. I said, hey, Devin. I said, how can I get on the radio? And he looked at me. He's like, are you serious? I said, I'm serious. He was like. Well, if you're serious, you'll come to the station on Monday and meet with the program director at 10 a.m. I'm like, OK, I'll be there Monday at 10 a.m. It was like that. Okay. And so when I went up there that day, I met with Kegel. He was the program director at Hot 107 at the time. And I was just sitting in front of him and he was really he really had the kind of attitude like, why should I let you on the radio? like that right (laughs) like kind of intimidating right and I was like well I do a lot of public speaking um, theater arts background blah 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 he was like just kind of looking at me he said you know what I'm gonna give you a chance and he said I'm not gonna start you off on the air I'm gonna start you off as a research coordinator so what that entailed was you know back then we had record stores so I would have to go to like pop tunes um, Mm -hmm. all the record stores and actually asked people why they were buying what they purchased okay. and collect data for mm. for programming. And I did some promo work, and in about three months, Cagle came to me and said, Look, we're going to give you a chance. You're going to go on the air at 12 a.m. Are you ready? And I'm like, okay, what's my name going to be? <laughs>
1: right. And I was like,
0: well, what you want your name to be? I was like, China Doll.
1: Okay, China Doll. That was my line <laughs> name.
0: That was my line name. And so him and Devin was like, no, no ma'am <laughs> your name would not be China though. I'm like why not and they was like because they're gonna think you're a stripper I'm like why would they think that <laughs> what's wrong with China though stripper on the radio at 12 a.m. come okay. on okay so he was like no 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 you should definitely use your first name we're gonna figure out the last name and he had like literally a double XL magazine okay and he said I'm gonna flip this magazine and I want you to stop your hand on the page, and we're gonna find out what's gonna go with Ina. So I stopped the page. It was a Willie Esco clothing ad. Do you remember Willie Esco jeans? No, ma'am. You don't remember <laughs> Willie
1: Esco jeans?
0: No. They used to have these jean like hip hop wear, urban wear, and it was a Willie Esco clothing ad. And so they looking at Esco. And Devin was like, perfect, Ina Esco, the double, double e. e. yes. And so I hit the air. I was so nervous. And I uh, it was like, you know, once you have those headphones, it's just kind of like deafening silence. Right, Is like, you. Yes. And so, you know, back then everything was live. And so I made it through my first break. And Cagle <laughs> was like, oh, that was better than I thought. <laughs> and he's like, what do you think about Weekend's? Ooh. You know, whatever time that was. I was like, okay, because I was ready to, you know, move forward with it. So that's how it all began.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. And so then you were on weekends. After on that. weekends, yep. And still in that 12 a.m. slot? Or
0: um, was the no. Um, at Hot 107, I think it was like Saturdays. I used to host a mix show, actually. So I think it was like maybe like... Maybe something like five to nine. And like during that period, uh, maybe a couple of hours of that show, it was a mixed show where different DJs like DJ Boogaloo Boogaloo Mm -hmm. used to work there, Um, Superman, um, Houston, Mm -hmm. all of the DJs that you hear on K97, they all used to work (laughs) at Hot 107, (laughs) seriously, at first. And so that was the beginning.
1: Wow. And so how long did you stay there at Hot 107?
0: I want to say maybe a little over a year.
1: Wow. And then it was right on over to K-97 or what happened
0: next? Well, Devin got the job with K-97 for afternoons. But there was a period, I believe contractually, where he had to kind of sit out from the terms of his contract were high yeah. for a minute, but he kept telling us, hey, I'm going to get y'all over here. I'm going to get y'all. we like, okay. And so you saw it slowly happening, him pulling the DJs over there and he got me over there. And that's when we were, it was Clear Channel then. Uh-huh. That's when we were located on Union Avenue in the midst of everything. Yes. But so now nah, you're not going to believe when I got there, my weekend shift became the worst Hours you could imagine.
1: <laughs> what was your shift?
0: Girl, because at that time, I'm a graduate from Lemoine at this time. So I'm working like an eight to five job at Cummins Engine. And I would leave there on Friday, getting off at five o'clock. I would go to the station at 10 p.m. and would leave at 6 a.m. Woo. And then do it again the next day. Wow. Then go to work Monday.
1: Oh, you were working.
0: And I did that shit for like, About two years? Okay. So just imagine my whole weekend gone. Right. And then I'm looking at everybody at the station (laughs) party. And you know, you're there on a weekend downtown. And the building we were we were in, it was like kind of like a old building. So windows open. You could hear all the life of the city going on. You had to be in there. Hey girl, man in the phone line on the air talking to people. It was, but you know what? In radio, that's really more times they would start you off with a crazy shift like that. Right. Kind of like, I don't want to say a hazing process, it's a pay your dues process.
1: Absolutely. So at that point, you're still early in your radio career. What surprised you about working in radio?
0: Hmm. What surprised me about working in radio? I didn't know that you had to really be mindful on a technical level because, okay. like I said, at that time, everything was live. One mistake. Oh, my God. Like, the one thing you don't want is dead air. Like, you will right. have that damn line lighting up. Like, what is going on in there? <laughs> but learning the board was, you know, kind of intense. Um you know, uh, Sam, I guess you say celebrities coming in and out like immediately. It just seemed they were regular people like, you know, right. it wasn't nothing. They were special. But hey, they was just like me. Like, <laughs> you know, like and a lot of times you learn that off the mic. Right. You know, yeah. because when that mic is turned on, they're the big celebrity. But when the mic is off, it's just like you kicking it. Me and you talking. Mm.
1: Was there ever a time where you got starstruck by one of the celebrities that you had to maybe interact with or interview or that was just at the station that day?
0: Mm, starstruck. Um, starstruck. Not really. One of them had pissed me off, though. Oh. <laughs> Tell us. We want to know
1: what happened.
0: Girl, this was when I was at Hot 107. T.I. I was talking about early in his career (laughs) early ti like before he blew up ti he was like on a promotional run and back then he just looked like a little young scraggly looking like you know nothing special Uh i didn't even know who he was oh no (laughs) and i had to stop at the station like on my lunch break and i had on like a business suit like that's how I was dressed, I remember. And he was trying to really holler at me. And I'm like, boy, bye. Like, nah. <laughs> and then everybody's like, you know who that is? I'm like, who is that? And they're like, T.I. I'm like, okay, who is he? It didn't, I didn't care. But that's back when we had the two-way pagers. Uh-huh. And he was like, uh, "Well, can I can I get your uh, two It's Like, he used to you know put them in front of each <laughs> other and zap it." And so we exchanged information, and but he hit me up, but I didn't hit him back. But that was before he was who he is today. Oh,
1: so it could have been Ti and Ena, is what you're telling me. Mm, we could have seen I wasn't going. Cause he show. seemed,
0: girl, he seemed real thug, delicious Like I don't want no thug. Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, no. Oh. Yeah, but he just <laughs> knew, girl, that I was going to be crazy over T.I. and I did not give a damn. I was like, oh, okay.
1: Mm. Now, yeah. after working kind of on the weekends, right, and putting in your dues, what was your next shift or what was next for you in radio?
0: After putting in my dues, uh, Devin did give me a chance to produce a show with Gangster Black. He okay. had like a weekend show that I had produced. And, and But when he came to me, I was like, what do I do as a producer? He was like, well, you're going to keep him on track and, um, you know, figure out the flow of the show and keep him on track. But he was so hard to keep on track because <laughs> he was a big personality. But we eventually meshed. And eventually, my shift was no longer what it was. I was like 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., on Saturday, then it became like Sunday, then um, at one point, I eventually was doing the middays on K97. okay? Yeah, but it was it was voice tracking. So a lot of people don't know, you know, a lot of times we're voice tracking. So I would literally go to my job, my eight to five corporate America job would get off of work. And come to the station and record, pre-record the show for the next day. Wow. And I did that for maybe a year and a half. About to lose my mind tonight.
1: I bet.
0: Because at that time, I had just had Dallas.
1: So you had a full-time job. Yes. You had a full-time baby. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) And you
1: were also voice tracking. So really a second job as well.
0: Yes and traveling with their full-time job too so it was so hard to girl i thought i was gonna lose my mind i i suffer from anxiety like mm. seriously i remember coming home one day and i felt like i couldn't breathe and my husband jamie was like uh well, let's go to the emergency room like he didn't know what to do and it was just like they gave me an iv of something and i calmed down and you know, the doctor was like, Well, what's like trying to figure out what was wrong? And they was like, asked me about my schedule and I told them, they was like, Sounds like you're stressed out. You yeah. need to take some time off. And that's what I did, you know, just for a minute. But mm. eventually I knew I could not I could not do that schedule anymore. Right. So I talked with Devin and um, things came to an end with, with the pre-recording with the midday. And so I, I think I like maybe took a year and a half off as really? well from radio. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, he was like, well, just let me know when you're ready to come back. And I was ready to come back. And I just did another weekend shift. Hmm. Yeah. Well, then you were
1: doing week back to weekends yep. again. Yep. So did you get back to midday later on? Or was no. you just stuck with the weekends? The weekend. So you've been in radio for a couple decades now. Mm-hmm. That is unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's changed so much. <laughs>
1: That's what I was going to ask you. How has the industry changed oh, over this wow. time? I mean, two decades. So much has changed with technology, as you kind of mentioned. Definitely. At first you, had to be, you were live when you first started. Then you were able to do the voice tracking. But what other changes have you seen?
0: Well, you know, as you mentioned, technology, definitely. But um, everything is just like... In the digital world, it is crazy, Sanaa. Like, um, I don't see a lot of talent coming through the door anymore. I remember really? back in the day, I saw quite a few DJs coming through, um, people from different cities coming in to do a spot. Nowadays, it's just pretty much the same talent. Or let's just say if they're if they have to go on vacation, they can get someone out of Atlanta to you know, fill in for them. I mean, that's how much voice tracking has taken over. Ah, And even with the artists that come through, it seems like they're no longer really obligated to have to come and talk to the radio station. You know, they pretty much control their marketing through their social media. Now, if they have a label rep that works closely with the station, then you can get them on. But just, You know, them having to come to the station, I don't see as many artists coming through anymore. Right.
1: Yeah, you bring up a good point because, of course, when you think about the beginnings of radio, right, and how people were getting entertainment, yeah, it was, you know, through radio, it was live, it was, you know, payola, you know, like all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now, like you said, with the changes in technology, artists, upcoming artists, and even artists who are signed, have their own marketing tool
0: yes and and you know what it it's a it's a good thing i think that social media has changed the game so much i mean people are like overnight successes you know and can market through social media i think that radio is good for them at a local level if they're trying to push it through their market that they're from but i mean social media didn't change the game girl
1: Social media, then you can think about syndication. Definitely syndication.
0: (laughs) You know, we just had Tom Joyner announce on, I believe, Friday that his career is over. Like, he is a legend, the fly jock, Tom (laughs) Joyner. He's (laughs) seen all the changes. Right,
1: all of them. And became
0: (laughs) one of the biggest radio personalities with syndication, so... Mm -hmm. I can't even think of a market I hadn't been to where I didn't hear Tom Joyner. Right.
1: And then that just ties into how we see, you know, how it was Clear Channel and now iHeart. So the consolidation, there aren't the same amount of kind of local or independently owned stations
0: anymore. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? Um, When Tom announced that um, he was going to retire, they gave our station a choice to either run him I guess up until when he was going to make this announcement or the top of 2019 develop your own local oh, uh, wow. morning show so that's how we were able yeah, to have a morning show on v101 at a local level so that's good because you know a local morning show kind of they have their ear to the streets more Absolutely. and it's more community oriented things of that nature so and I hear they their um, numbers are doing really well with Mike Evans, Great. Stormy, and Earl. So that's awesome.
1: That is awesome. Yes, I listen to them every morning on the way to the gym. Yes, get <laughs>
0: your Memphis information.
1: Exactly, absolutely. Now, how did you decide to make the jump into podcasting?
0: Oh, podcasting. Well, um, I had heard about podcasting and I was like dang it was just like at the time I heard about it I was like okay maybe that's something I could get into but it would come a time where I would want to interview different people that I thought would be great candidates to be on the air and I was told no you know like it, it was I mean I guess there's a formula to who they let on the airwaves or not but it was like if they're not you know, we're not playing their song. If it's not adding value, blah, blah, blah. I was right. like, oh, OK. So I was like, well, with the podcasting thing, I can have whoever I want to have on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> and so I had kind of entertained the idea for maybe two years until I actually got serious and started it. And um, I told myself, well, I'm going to interview people that I think have a story to tell. I'm going to call it verbally effective. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting at the top of 2018 and I'm going to do it weekly. <laughs> and that's what I did. And we still rolling.
1: Yes, we are. So but let's go back just a second. You said you had been thinking about for two years. Mm-hmm. So what actually was that final push to where you said, okay, 2018, this is it. It's time.
0: Hmm. I guess because, you know, like we've discussed, just being on the the radio on the weekend, it's just a little something, something, right? Right. And me wanting more with this whole radio broadcasting thing so i knew if i didn't make a move nothing was going to change you know what opportunities do (laughs) i have here like what are we doing and with technology unless you know i'm a big superstar and you know my my potential to do syndication was very low right so um I said in 2018, I'm just going to go for it. I talked to my husband about it. And and I was like, do you know how many empty studios there are up there? Like no one's using them. Like I can just literally go in there and do my thing. And so he was like, baby, do it. You have my support. Cause I was just explaining all of the potential um, opportunities that could come out of this. And so, um, you know, I already come in here on Sundays doing 10 to three. And so I said, well, I'm just gonna record my podcast at first it was recording my podcast um, and editing it when I would get off on Sunday and then when I started booking guests Thursday was the better day for me to meet with guests in the evening so it just began it was it was just I was tired of. I guess, tired of nothing changing. So now, like, mm-hmm. you know, like if I don't bust a move, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I yes. just went for it. And then I would go, I would, I, you know, I've had quite a few hosting gigs over the year. And one of the main things they always ask, well, what are you going to do next? And I always would say, oh, I think I'm going to start a podcast. And, but there were no concrete plans in place and I was like well let me stop lying to these folks let me do this (laughs) you know let me stop talking about it let me be about it so kicked it off in 2018
1: But it's like what you just said. Sometimes you have to get uncomfortable where you are to
0: give you that push. Because like you said,
1: if you didn't do it, nothing was going to change.
0: Nothing. I had already saw that as long as I've been in radio. Well, it doesn't look like you're on the radar for anything else around here. So (laughs) let me make a move for myself. And it has truly been a blessing since I started. It's amazing the doors that open when you actually go for what you want.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And what have been some of those doors that you see have opened for you?
0: Well, you know what? I have met so many amazing people that have come through the Verbally Effective podcast. Some of the things that have happened since I've started, it was just I guess when I put it out there, I had so many people wanting to be on it. And I was (laughs) like, oh, I'm on to something. I eventually developed a team. um, So now that you're a part of, (laughs) um, I also, uh, big shout outs to Jeremy. He was my visual guy for a while. Well, I'm actually going to South by Southwest. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. In 2020 uh, for um, the big festival. Um, I have been um, a guest on... The local news station, Um, they want my opinion on current events, uh, water cooler topics. So I'm doing that monthly on Channel 3. So that is a big opportunity. So um, they even have people that are podcasting over there. I was like, oh, do you guys need any help with the podcasting? (laughs) You know, I just I mean, we've started Podbox where we are creating and Um, growing a community of podcasters in the Mid-South. So that's been cool. All of the local pods, they have been joining us. We've done three so far. So kind of like sharing tips and best practices with the other podcasters in the Mid-South. So um, that's been cool. We're even um, doing a podcasting one-on-one workshop coming up in January. So we can help other people with this podcasting thing. I mean, everybody... I've had so many people hit me up on social media asking me about podcasting. So I said, well, let's just develop something so that we can share it with the people. So
1: So you have interviewed quite a few different people from various industries, whether it's arts, entertainment, culture, politics. But what have you learned from the people that you've interviewed?
0: Oh, wait. Something that I've learned from the people that I've interviewed, um, it seems like all of their journeys start off, I mean, how can I say this? A lot of things manifest from things that have happened in your early years, a a lot. I hear that a lot with my guests. Things that they're dealing with um, it stems from something from their childhood mm-hmm. I mean even with me like <laughs> and, and it's amazing because you know my guests they have such fight and they want to succeed and across all of those different uh, genres I mean these people out here in Memphis are so full of grit and grind like what I've learned is Memphis is one of the hardest markets to survive in. Yes,
1: like absolutely. wow, what
0: is going on, Memphis? i be like Memphis, I'll be cutting up. But the, and they always say if you can make it in Memphis, you can make it anywhere. Yes, we hear that
1: so many times
0: yes (laughs) and so everyone that has succeeded in Memphis if they go anywhere else Memphis has definitely prepared them to excel wherever they go I was just talking with Corey about that um at your event on Mm -hmm. Friday he was like Memphis really prepared me for Atlanta because it's doggy dog you know I've learned quite a few fr- uh, quite a few things from my guests on the podcast and have really established some great relationships. A lot of the guests are sponsors for the events that we have like they want to see verbally effective succeed and grow. Right. So that is amazing.
1: Yes. and with verbally effective, what are
0: you most proud of? I'm proud when a former guest, when I talk with them later and they tell me something like, since they've been on the podcast, how maybe that things have changed for their business. Um, I recently had someone tell me that, um, you know, that they want to put their business on another level. What he says, be more verbally effective (laughs) and monetize. But, um, When I have listeners that contact me and tell me that they listened to an episode and it really made them think about uh, maybe changing their careers or pursuing starting a business or something someone said changed their lives. I mean. I, I have these conversations with my husband all the time. I'm like, babe, I'm changing lives out here. He was <laughs> yes. like, you are. <laughs> he called me his little Oprah Winfrey. Oh, that's what he called me. That's girl. Cute. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay, so I have one last question <gasps> for you. All right, so you are about to enter into the third year of verbally effective. So let's say in a couple more years. So you're looking back at the past five years of verbally effective. Tell me what accomplishments or what special guests you'll be running down off your list. This is what I've achieved in the past five years. Tell me, what are you going to be sharing with us?
0: Wow, I would be saying that in the past five years. Oh, so now I knew you was gonna get me. <laughs> wow. Um, well, at that point, verbally effective will be global. All right. At that point. And I will have had sat down with the likes of a Barack or Michelle Obama okay. on the pod. Um, I will have um Taken the verbally effective podcast, like I said, to a global international speaking circuit. I will have had a book. Come on. To promote. All right. Stemming from my guests from the podcast, I will have had been a TEDx speaker. Yes,
1: ma'am. Come on. What else? <laughs> you ain't done. Come
0: on. We want some more. Ah, oh, so nah, um, I would. Say that I would be. I mean, Ivy Multimedia would be one of the companies, one of the most competitive companies. Like you know how you're on the Forbes list and shit like that. Yes. Okay, so that's where we at in in the in the multimedia game. At that point, of course, I would no longer be working in corporate America because I'm pushing this Ivy Multimedia full time. (laughs) Of course, I wouldn't be in corporate (laughs) America anymore. Um, and then me and Sonai can travel and do what we wanna do at that point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Alright, well thank you so much Ina for sitting on the other side of the microphone Thanks, today Anna.
0: You were so good, Sana. Oh,
1: you know, I had um, you know <laughs> observed a few tips and tricks from you Oh my, uh,
0: I <laughs> Boo Boo Kitsy So yes,
1: yeah, so episode 100 of Verbally Effective with <laughs> Ina
0: Esco <laughs> Thanks Sanai, super producer You're
1: thank you